He's not married. In spite of my every effort to connect him with the most amazing women ever. <laughs> it's Johanna Maska, and on this episode of Press Advance, we're talking about Senator Tim Scott. While a lot of traditional media is talking about the fact that Senator Tim Scott is the only candidate in the race who is not married, he actually fits a lot of other onlys in this race. He's the only black Republican senator. He's been known to work across party lines, which is rare. And he cares deeply about the issues of poverty having been raised by a single mother. His speech to launch his campaign was a more positive, faith-filled message of hope and optimism in America than we've seen of late. We need a president who persuades not just our friends and our base. We, We need a president that persuades. We have to do that with common sense, conservative principles. But we have to have a compassion for people. We have to have a compassion for people who don't agree with us. We have to believe that our ideas are so strong and so powerful and so persuasive that we can actually take it to the highest points in the world and be successful. But we also have to be able to to take it all the way down to places that today are hopeless and prove that who we are works for all Americans. We wanted to get to know Tim Scott better, both personally and professionally, and thankfully, I have friends across the aisle who can help us with both. Denise Gitchum is a Republican who worked in George W. Bush's White House, and I've known her for years. She ran for Congress in California. She has been dear friends with Tim Scott, who shares her Christian faith and conservative values. On the policy side, we've got Jerron Smith, who worked as deputy assistant to the president for President Trump, but before that worked in Congress when Tim Scott was a congressman. Stay tuned after these conversations because we talked to Meg Kennard again from the Associated Press in South Carolina. It turns out when you've got two South Carolinians running for office, she's been covering all these folks. In fact, Nikki Haley was the one who, as governor, appointed her friend, who was a congressman, Tim Scott, to the United States Senate. Now over to Denise. I actually met him in San Diego. And I invited him to come to church with some folks. And I'm on the board of my church. It's a huge mega church in San Diego. Um, my pastor is black. We have what we call a Skittles church. And so we have people, everything from, you know, admirals, because we live in a Navy town in San Diego, to um, literally women we bring out of the strip clubs, strippers. Um, we have a whole ministry where we bring these women straight from the strip clubs when they get out into church. And you see this mix of broken people, whether they look cleaned up or not, sitting in church. And it really is a leveling um, of the playing field. And I brought him to my church. And at one point, I dropped, uh, like I just dropped my pen and my Bible, like on the floor. I just stood up or, or moved or something. And Senator Scott, being who he is, um, got down on his knees and it like slid under the chair in front of me. He got on his knees on a hard concrete floor and went and searched for it. Now I've, you and I know enough about Washington that people think that they're royalty, they're actual, like, you know, some sort of God-given imperial bloodline when they get elected to office. Many people become narcissists or were before they came in and continue to act out in ways that are absolutely appalling and inconsistent with reality. Um, But I find that Senator Scott consistently 
when people aren't looking, when, when he's not on a stage, is the kind of person who has the character that I would want and that really embodies a servant before you put the public in front of it. He's a servant to people. He thinks his job is to serve people. Well, and I think at its core, democracy should reward those who have been helping in their communities, who you know so well. Our system has been a little out of whack that way because we're not getting all the information we probably need from a skeptical press. We are getting too often what they put on their own social media or their own feeds or what they do for the cameras. And you don't get to know who people actually are. And money, which is going to be a whole other season in politics, <laughs> has been a very ugly thing. But in this campaign, Tim Scott has actually managed to raise quite a bit of money to fuel his ambition to I guess, you know, bring some civility back to our discourse at the presidential level. Indeed. Um, 22 million is actually what he raised by the day of his announcement. That is a remarkable feat, especially given the fact that he has done almost nothing to raise his national profile. He is very, I mean, when I bring up the name Tim Scott, even though he has been, you know, the response to many state of the unions and, you know, closed out the first night of the Republican National Convention in 2020. Like these are things that he doesn't um, really use to his own advantage. Now, I think that there are pros and cons to that as somebody who worked for Karl Rove and understands strategy and what it, what got you here can't get you there kind of mentality is, is kind of how I live. I'm like, what do we need to do to adjust to make sure that we are capitalizing on who we are so that people know us, so they have an opportunity to determine whether or not we're the best fit for the presidency. But I also love the fact, I mean, it's what makes him stand out, um, is the fact that it's not something he shouts from the rooftops, but it's something that anyone who understands politics can acknowledge and say, wow, $22 million. People vote um, with their, really with their pocketbooks. Like enthusiasm is gauged by how much money you're able to raise in politics, as much as we'd like that not to be the case. Um, it is so important that you have the money that enables you to be in the right markets, media markets, because as I see it, Tim doesn't really have a problem of people liking him. What he has a problem is name ID. That's his issue. And so if you have money, you are able to get the name ID because you're able to be in the media markets that matter the most. And so in terms of money, like it doesn't, you can't contextualize it. I just did for you to the extent that I could. But what that means is a $6 million ad buy in the three states he's going to need to win coming out strong. I actually saw like tons of friends flock to that announcement. He's had friends who have been his friends since he was in college, since his since he was a child, you know, mentors, and they were there for him. They were. It was amazing. I mean, the conversations we had, they put my my best friend who's a homeschooling mother of four from South Carolina, she lives in Clemson. Um, 
he said, yeah, bring, you can bring a guest. And I brought her with me and she's nobody, right? Like she's nobody important. Um, and she, she's like, I'm going to be on stage. And I'm like, yeah. And he put me next to her, next to another friend of mine. Um, and then his, his chief and some other folks. And then when we were talking to everyone around us, you know, to your point about friends, um, we were talking to this couple behind us whose daughter actually sang the national anthem. And they were like, how do you know Tim? And I explained it to them. And then I said, how do you know Tim? And they said the most fascinating story. So apparently the husband of the couple um, were working out at this gym, or maybe it was the wife, one of the two. And this was early 2000s. And they, um, Tim came in and he was working out and they were saying, you know, he was so, he was lifting all this weight and blah, blah, blah. And the guy who actually runs a lot of, um, his personal stuff and just like kind of is his closest confidant, Joe was the manager at the gym and some, some woman or man, you know, this is South Carolina we're talking about who was white kind of made Tim feel like he wasn't welcome at this gym and came up to him and said something which breaks me like to hear that. Um, and they were getting emotional as they were talking about it. And they went up to him. They said he carried himself like in such a way that was just so gracious in response to her. And out of um, not wanting her to feel uncomfortable, he quietly excused himself with great dignity and started walking out of the gym. And these women, or I think it was the woman in the, the woman in the couple said, you know, I saw this and I kind of had this feeling that I knew what had happened. So I went running after him and said, hold on a second. I don't know what she said to you, but who are you? Like they just wanted to know who he was. And um, they started talking and they became friends and she became the vice chair of like the Republican Party in South Carolina many years later. And um, that kind of story to me is really indicative of who he is in an era of, you know, where people love to turn um, really horrific things like racism into something that's personally aggrandizing and use it for their own purposes. Tim again, consistent with who he is as a public servant and just as a servant at heart, was more concerned about this woman feeling comfortable. And, you know, we can argue, we might have different opinions on whether that's the the best thing to do for society. But the fact that it wasn't about him, that he said, you know what, it's okay. I can go somewhere else and work out. Um, and then just looked at her with so much grace and just smiled and said, yes, ma'am, you know, I understand and kind of walked away quietly. To me, that speaks great deal to his character because Tim's not a small guy. I mean, he's really into fitness and he's a buff guy and he could do whatever, you know, but he chooses not to. And I, I think sometimes that's a bigger indication of true strength in character than just freaking out on a little old lady who is ignorant. I'm not woke. I'm going to say straight out, like, I can only see the world through the lens that I have, and I can try really, really hard to see it through the lens of someone else, which is what I'm trying to do every day. But for Tim Scott, he has such a powerful voice, I think, in Republican circles because he's used his platform to try to show sometimes how small-mindedness can actually really set us back. 
Well, I'm so glad you said that. And, you know, as a daughter of immigrants, as somebody who's half Chinese and looks probably more Hispanic than anyone I know, uh, (laughs) I have always been ambiguously ethnic. And I think it's a huge strength. I grew up in Solano County, which is the second most, according to the Wall Street Journal, second most diverse county in America to Alameda County, which is just down the street in the Bay Area. And so um, I was, I, I was, I fit in perfectly in one sense because nobody really, everyone was mixed or everyone was something other than white. And, um, and so I had a very different sense of growing up in public schools of what it meant to be an American, you know, for me, all, everyone was an American, but they didn't look like people did in the middle of the country where you're from. And so, um, what I love, I think, you know, what you're talking about in in regards to, it's good to know who you are and, and kind of to acknowledge like this is not the perspective that I have because I can't because I can't experience what that is to be there and I can all I can do is empathize and try to understand. I think the desire to understand why people feel the way that they do is the most important thing that is lacking. It's the most critical thing that's lacking actual curiosity of like, okay, I don't agree with you on this issue. Can you help me to understand why you feel this way? And I find that 99% of the disagreements I have with my friends on the other side of the aisle and even friends within my own party, because there's no conformity within the Republican Party, if you haven't noticed. There's no conformity in the Democratic Party. That's the whole joke of this. You know, when I see Republicans on stage being like, the Democrats are going to (laughs) ruin this. And I see, you know, Democrats, (laughs) I see Democrats on stage and I'm like, you know, they say, you know, you're going to elect MAGA Republicans. I had this professor who was a college professor going at me, don't normalize MAGA. And I was like, I I mean, if you meet MAGA people, like if you're a professor and you're supposed to be open-minded and you meet people, like try to understand where people are coming from. And what I've seen in people who may consider themselves MAGA or who may consider themselves, you know, righteous Democrats is that, you know, sometimes it's the dogmatic, but actually they have a lot more in common than they think. (laughs) We do. We all do. And it's when you travel and you get out of America and you see the extremes that you realize, gosh, we're really arguing, we're creating culture wars. We're creating these things to fight about in America, which when you have a, a mom that escaped communist China, like I do, you know, you realize, okay, we're so far from that. No matter what you call yourself in America, you can call yourself socialist. You can call yourself all these things, but I'm like, listen, you ain't seen nothing until you get out of this country. And then you realize, wow, we are really just inches, centimeters apart on the grand spectrum of the political, you know, diversity spectrum. And um, we should be looking, you know, I've always thought that in presidential campaign season, instead of having debates, we should really have a leadership summit where like true leadership principles are put to the test, where you have people who disagree on the issues come together and figure out how to solve them. To me, that is so much more interesting of an idea. That to me shows that you're ready to lead, not that you're ready to be on TV and be a star or some personality as a president. I want to know what you're doing to solve problems. And that's part of the reason why I love Tim so much is that you know, he's not one of those flashy people on um, in the Senate that wants to hog the cameras. Um, I mean, I wish he was because then it'd be a lot easier to get his name out. I do think um, Tim Scott's positivity can be infectious. What's your favorite funny story about Tim Scott? 
I've done New Year's Eve with him back when I was married and he had a girlfriend, like he would fly out. We do great dinners together, but there's always a lot of people in the room. Um, you know, I feel like Tim is really serious in many ways. Um, he's got a lightheartedness to him. I love seeing his his nephew on stage with him and I'd never, you know, seen his their little handshake. And I feel like there's just a joy that comes out in him all the time, but he's not like ha ha funny. Um, I think for me, his real value comes in that there's this sort of almost like a bubbling brook, if I could describe it that way, of just underlying joy in everything he does. I think he's always felt that, especially growing up in the South, that he he's a standard bearer and he sets the tone for how people see him. So I think it's hard for him to just sort of let go and be silly in ways that some of us are able to. Well, he does seem to be uh, very much, you know, making the decisions in his life cautiously. Um, if he were to be elected, he would be the first single president since James Buchanan. In spite of my every effort to connect him with the most amazing women ever. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think when you're 57, I mean, I'm 46 and I feel like, man, the next person that comes into my life is going to be, have to be some kind of crazy amazing <laughs> for me to even consider him. And I'm not running for president <laughs> or my <laughs> senator. Um, there's more at stake, right? And when you're 57 and you've been doing it this way your whole life and your family is as important as it is to you and you have a mission that I believe God has put them on um, to do a thing, I I think that the issues of your personal life sort of fall to the wayside because you're so mission-oriented. And Tim, I will say this, um, the way Tim is as a man of integrity in his professional life and in his public life, it is a full reflection of his internal integrity. I think one time I may have said, hey, there's this woman who wants to meet you. She's beautiful. She's smart. All the things like I wouldn't have even said it if she hadn't been all those things. And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm actually just started um, chatting with this. This is years ago. He said, I just started talking to this woman. I'm, I'm interested in her. And I think it would be disingenuous of me to um, go and start a conversation with someone else when I've expressed my interest in her. So let me figure that out first. And if, if it doesn't work out, then I'll come back. And I just thought, man, who does that? Like, where <laughs> are men like this in the world? Like, where, who, who says that? You can get away with anything in this day and age. And when you're a senator, you can get away with almost anything. It's so not cool. Like, not cool. You need to be honest in this day and age. That's what all I care. I don't care that you're perfect, but I do care that you're honest. <laughs> Have integrity. Like be honest, be truthful. You're right. Like, and you're not people, you're not going to be able to hide that for long with all the technology that we have these days. But the fact that somebody would choose to step above and beyond just the baseline of threshold of like, oh, let's admit what we've done. What I find to be true of Tim in every part of his life is that rather than seeing how close he can get to the line without stepping over it, Tim really lives a life of integrity where he tries to see, like, how far can I get from the line? Because I don't even want to mess with it. I just don't know people like that, whether in politics or outside of politics, which is why I respect him so much. Very disciplined. 
Very disciplined. Yeah, but it's real. It's not even like – it almost doesn't even feel like discipline, honestly. It feels like it just is who he is. His heart is pure. And that's how I feel about him. And I, I don't know many men like that, To honestly. Like I just don't know many. Um, I think that's what you see. It's like the secret sauce of why he's able to be the person he is. When you have a pure heart, you have a light spirit, and you're able to have joy because you're not looking behind your back waiting for something to catch up with you. So instead of trying to play defense and maybe, you know, over here or go look at that, he's able to just speak honestly about what's on his heart. And he is comfortable with the fact that you'll either like him and think he's the best choice or you won't. And he's just going to do his best to present it with all the confidence that he's enough. Do you remember, I think it was, was it Dennis Kucinich who like had like some kind of like, um, they, it was like a competition or something, like who gets to date this presidential candidate? And you know, he's like <laughs> five feet tall. And I'm like, who's going to date him? Like, right? Like, I don't even care who you are. I guess somebody did. And he ended up with this gorgeous wife who was like 30 years younger. I'm totally like, don't even remember the details. I'm probably making this up. But I just remember seeing them together and I'm like, wow. Like you see really rich men and really powerful men with people who have, you know, like who don't seem to go together and maybe I'm judging incorrectly and they're like best of friends and it was a perfect match. But I tend to be skeptical like everyone about matches that come together in an opportune time when somebody else can, you know, get something from a connection like that. And I just don't see, I feel like Tim would see through that and anybody is so wise and discerning and who he surrounds himself with, which is why the people that were at that announcement are the people he's had around him for so long. He's really wise. And he, he actually, you know, sometimes he calls out things and he's like, do you realize that you do this? And I'm like, ouch, um, thank <laughs> you. And duly noted. And you're a hundred percent right. Right. Like he's like, you're being kind of selfish or where's that coming from? Like that just, you know, seems kind of desperate. And I'm like, it hurts. But the Bible says, um, wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. Hmm. And that's the mark of a true friend. And that's not something you see very often in politics is people always want to be flattering yeah. and to get what they want. I would rather somebody be direct with me as the, as my friend and tell me how I can be better. And he's so direct. all of that to say, like, I don't think he's going to jump into anything. You are right. It was Democratic presidential hopeful Dennis Kucinich <laughs> who I love uh, went to late night television, won a date with actress Jennifer Tilly. He had already been divorced twice <laughs> and he asked questions of a trio of unseen women in a takeover of the dating game questions. Um, that was, uh, I think, in 2004. Hopefully we're like a little ways beyond <laughs> that. <laughs> it's like the Bachelor Senate version. I'm like, I can tell you, I was on that show. I can tell you that's that never turns out well. Um, okay. So uh, you were there for the announcement. That's the, I think we should end on is probably like, tell me what was that like? The excitement was palpable in the room. It was so electrifying. And what I love most as somebody who is a minority and a woman and young, younger on the younger side for politics is that there were people of all ages, all backgrounds. Charleston's really like an amazing town. And I, I didn't really realize I had not been there. People were just genuinely excited for what he could bring to the table, but it didn't feel like a cult of personality where people were like, you know, 
like just falling or fainting or like a Beatles like kind of thing, right? It was a, God, we're here to support you. Like we see what you're trying to do and we're so excited for our future. There are lots of kids. And so I loved it. I know um, it's probably going to be a divisive race, but I hope that in the midst of all of that, we can sort through the substance um, and really excited to see what comes of uh, Senator Scott's bid. I'm grateful for Denise, and I've got to talk to another friend who knows Tim Scott well, Jerron Smith. I worked with him um, at the um, during a Republican study committee under uh, Jim Jordan's chairmanship. I worked directly with him on our, our then called Anti-Poverty Caucus. I think right now it's called the Opportunity Caucus in the, in the House, but I, I was able to launch that. And he was the co-chairman. And what we were looking at was promoting solutions um, for poverty that wasn't just um, reforming the, the welfare system. One interesting thing about Tim, you know, usually when, it, when he's in his office, he thinks, well, you'll see this, some clips. Um, he thinks, well, with his, with his shoes off and kind of being comfortable in his, in his office. And so that's one thing I uh, vaguely remember with um, briefing him. But you know, the one thing I think is, is, is incredible about my experience with him is his commitment to underserved communities. You know, um, I recently um, wrote a book talking about uh, some policy reforms, and it all really started kind of working with him on some of those um, solutions for underserved communities. I think that the most memorable moments I, I hear from him is just how he changed his life around. Once he was a teenager, after almost failing out of school, and then having a mentor who was a Chick Fil A operator, that basically t- told him that you know he can he can do anything if he put his mind to it and invest in education. And that that life voyage of him being able to turn that around, being a very successful business person at Allstate, probably give giving him all of his chops with kind of working with different people and meeting people where they are. And then focusing on solutions, certainly uh, be able to build your own business, put you in a position to kind of take a more business view with politics and uh, and being able to kind of represent communities that are trying to be empowered, independent from the government. What did Tim Scott do on that you know front of helping communities in poverty in a bipartisan way, and how did he present himself and his case when he was working? both with Republicans and with Democrats. So very early on, um, he worked on issues dealing with apprenticeships. I was able to kind of author uh, and help him work on a a joint bill with Cory Booker. And that's when they first started really working together when they were on both new to the Senate. But they modeled this after an incentive or a tax credit that was given in South Carolina that created some connectivity between their own vocational schools or community colleges and in private businesses. And um, the simplicity of the tax credit basically encouraged more private businesses to want to, you know, participate in the uh, apprentice program and hire individuals. And so it's been widely successful in South Carolina. He was able to maybe push that and advocate for on job opportunities and incentives for people for vocational training. And then if, if you look at issues around uh, opportunity zones, wh- which is probably more famous 
issue because we were able to pass that in tax reform. You know, though the vehicle for tax reform was uh, mostly Republican, the legislation itself had wide bipartisan support in the House, in the Senate. And it also has been something that I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of local elected mayors with designating a strategy around a strategy around opportunity zones. And what you've seen is like 50 percent of those 3,800 zones throughout the country have received over $50 billion in, 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 in new additional private sector resources to revitalize their communities. And so that, to me, is a, is a huge success. Um, another success I would I'll mention is the First Step Act. Senator Scott, when I worked in the White House, was a key negotiator, helping to get that legislation across the finish line, you know, um, getting members to support it on the conservative side of the aisle based off of it doing the right, being the right thing to do. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, the first step back is um, a prison reform, uh, federal prison reform legislation that looks at the way that we design uh, productive programming for individuals that that in the prison um, enter the prison system. So, due to the reforms, um, we change prisons from just being um, a warehouse for criminals, being more of a rehabilitative opportunity for those to be able to reduce their chances of recidivating or returning to prison. What we did was we created essentially a new risk assessment program, which looks at a person's individual criminology. And based off of that, um, give them a ranking of either um, high risk, recidivating, medium risk, minimal, or or no risk. If you're able to get your uh, recidivism risk to minimum or no risk, then you could potentially serve some of your time in home confinement. and uh, But in order to do that, you would have to um, participate in pr- productive programming. Pr- productive programming can be anything from education or vocational at- um, activity to drug rehabilitation to uh, things like uh, um, trauma-informed care and being able to uh, heal family relationships. And that, that changed the way we did prison. And of course, over in the Senate, we also looked at the three-strike law and, and got rid of the third strike, um, um, locking people up for life. And we also were able to retroactively apply the discrepancy between cocaine and, and crack, which was 18, 18 to 1. And that retroactively applied to a number of individuals who still were um, locked up, even though they changed the uh, um, discrepancy from 100 to 1 to 18 to 1. That legislation is, is now current law. What we've seen is that it's worked. Um, our goal there was to reduce federal recidivism. You know, out of the 40,000 people who have come home under the First Step Act, I think um, uh, the average recidivism, which was around 30% for federal prisons, were able to kind of um, be cut in half um, down to the teens. And so, um, but it's become a North Star for how you do uh, smart on crime policies. You know, I'm continuing to advance that work um, through organization that I work with called um, Public Safety Solutions for America. So what's Tim Scott like as a person? Very kind, funny, and, and, and pretty down, down to earth. You know, you meet some members of Congress and uh, sometimes their personalities um, are different than what their TV appearance may be. But he, the person you see is the person you get in uh, real life when meeting with Tim. You know, I'm a person of integrity, a person that's um, open to finding common ground, an individual that, like, is easy to talk to. So that's been my experience with him. And when he's in Washington, um, he's, you know, of course, 
on the job. Uh, what did you see in terms of, you know, like him when he had off hours? Was he always on the job or was he like socializing with people? What was his, uh, President Obama played cards. Like that was his <laughs> release. <laughs> what does Tim Scott actually like to do? You know, I mean, he's, he, he works out, you know, um, he's a former athlete. So working out and uh, get, being able to get his exercise in is uh, really important. You know, he's also an avid um, audiobooks listener. But I think, you know, he spends a good amount of time, you know, on practicing his faith as well. And, uh, you know, he's also an avid sports fan, you know, um, you know, with, uh, football and basketball. So that's been cool um, to kind of like talk sports and stuff with him. Tim Scott has his mother on the trail already. He launched with his mom on his side. His, side. his mom had a rocky marriage to his father. His father was also there, as I understand. He didn't have a relationship with his father for a really long time, but he is now there. And uh, his grandparents kind of were involved in raising him, as I understand. Where is my mama? I love you, Mom. It is hard to find your own mom in a crowd this big. And so diverse, too. Let me just say this real quick here to my mother. Thank you for your hard work and your dedication. Thank you for believing in me when no one else did. Tim Scott hasn't gotten married. He's the bachelor in the presidential field. Some people are making a lot about that. Um, I do think, you know, in Iowa, people like want to know who you're close to and they want to meet people. I mean, not in my um, experience. I mean, he, he's a person that's been uh, dedicated to his work. I mean, so I don't want to like, like get into like his, you know, I'm, not, I'm a person who's not in personal people's personal lives that much. But what I will say is, is that he's been a, um, a committed warrior on the front lines for helping everyone get access to opportunity. And, you know, sometimes that work, you know, um, spills over, takes a lot of um, of your time. And so that's been my experience with him is he's just been dedicated to doing the work of the people. Hmm. Very helpful. All right. Uh, Jaron, is there anything else that national pundits miss about Tim Scott? And um, what are you waiting to see on the campaign trail? People talk more about um, different policy solutions, but especially solutions around uh, underserved communities. And I'm, I'm thankful that he's in the dialogue. And so it, uh, it'd be uh, interesting to hear on what are some more of those policy reforms, you know, with me having a policy background, I'm trying to always look at on uh, what works and what's the next needle to fall because our most important asset in America is our human capital. And I want to be able to invest in all, all human beings throughout the country um, to make sure everyone has their chance of it at the American dream. And so I um, would love to kind of, continue to hear my former bosses, you know, amplify those different solutions so we can continue to move the country forward. Our episode would not be complete if we weren't skeptics and engaged the media. So in this episode, we turn again to Meg Kennard from the Associated Press. When he gets out on the road, he tends to kind of talk about a, a very positive 
country that he would like to help create. Um, I think that's in direct contrast to, you know, what we have seen perhaps in some other presidential campaigns from Republicans in cycles past in terms of like, things are so bad, you need me to come fix it. He's not necessarily saying that things are horrible, but he's just kind of pointing toward a look at what America could be. Let's think about this great notion. I think a lot of his personal biography also hits directly on that. And that's something that he leans on um, pretty regularly in a lot of these conversations he's having with voters across the country. He uses the phrase from cotton to Congress in one generation. Um, that's kind of you know buzzy and, and sounds good. But it is true that his grandfather was educated through, I think, the third grade and then dropped out so he could pick cotton literally to earn a living for his family. Um, And then his grandson, now Tim Scott, is a senator and was in the House of Representatives before that. So that's just one little snapshot of a very rich personal history. But that coupled with some of the accomplishments that he can point toward um, that he has already been able to implement during his time in Congress, I think those those things right there give Tim Scott a lot of things to talk about in terms of introducing himself to voters around the country. Well, and you're right. He really was the shepherd of opportunity zones. So tell me, in terms of South Carolina, have you seen opportunity zones actually affect the lives of the underserved communities that they were supposed to help? I mean, I think I would have to go back and look to see um, specific breakdowns. I know that from Senator Scott's point of view, he has issued releases pointing toward programs that have been successful. Um, You're right, without supporting evidence, it's a good talking point. Um, But I do think in general, you know, there is a, a sense, I guess, that there's been some, you know, some positive reaction and good things for communities from that um, he's got a pretty tight knit group of advisors, right? And the m- woman most frequently by his side is his mother. That's right. He does bring his mom out a lot. He brought her recently to one of his listening tour stops in Charleston, where I went to the Citadel um, last month and his mom was right there in front of him. And he talked about her multiple times during his speech. Um, He does have a close circle. Some of the people who are closest around him have been with him on the Hill and even before then um, as state directors and and state officials um, with his local office in South Carolina. So he's building that infrastructure out now. So uh, one thing that's just kind of the elephant in the room for me, Americans haven't elected a bachelor since James Buchanan. Um, Tim Scott, there's, you know, he dated Z Patel, general manager of Charleston lingerie store uh, called Bits of Lace. Um, I think that was like in 2013. So 10 years ago, it appeared they broke up. Do you think his marital status will matter to South Carolina voters when it comes to this election cycle? I really can't see that playing much of a role. Um, South Carolina voters particularly have reelected him resoundingly to the Senate, and I don't necessarily think that they would see any difference in voting for him um, on that point, at least in terms of a presidential election. Um, it's, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that South Carolina actually has two bachelor senators in the U.S. Senate and Tim Scott and Lindsey Graham, both of whom are Republicans, both of whom have been, been reelected multiple times. I think that he is going to have an interesting platform in terms of his experience on banking and financial issues. 
Um, he is a senior member of the banking committee. And obviously, with all of the, the stuff that has kind of erupted in that sphere in the past couple of months, that is going to give him an area of expertise that some others might not have. It is definitely going to be interesting to watch. Um, Tim Scott and former President Donald Trump aren't known to have had a super close relationship um, during the administration. They did work together on certain issues. And in his book um, and in other places, Senator Scott has talked about frank conversations that he had with the former president in making his viewpoints and his priorities clear. Um, so again, coming especially from a state like South Carolina, where the former president has put his flag in the ground with his team of support and made it clear that he is really going to be competing here, um, that is going to be interesting to watch and to see how that kind of develops into, okay, so now do we not only have one, but two South Carolinians competing in a state where this third candidate, the former president, has been very successful the most previous times that he ran. Yeah, well, and the truth is, if the Republicans don't consolidate down to one candidate who could beat Donald Trump, they'll stand the same situation they did before, which is that he's not winning the majority, but he's winning enough to keep going. Yeah, in 2016, his his victory here was 32.5%, which was still about 10% over the next closest competitor. So not even close to a majority. My thanks to Denise Gitchum, Jerron Smith, and Meg Kennard. I hope you, like I, learned a lot about Tim Scott. I really appreciate all of you who stuck around. Our motto for the Iowa campaign for President Obama was respect, empower, include. And gosh, I think we could get back to that in politics. That is exactly what I want to do on Press Advance. And I'd love to have the audience involved. So if you're listening to this, please find me on social media at Johanna Masca. Send me what you think and let me know if I should read it on the podcast. Please follow us, rate and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 